Hi, my name is Lois and I'm one of the leaders at Fearless and it's great to be with you this morning online in church. I know we've all been making adjustments as we're coming out of lockdown and I think for me the biggest adjustment I've made in coming out of lockdown is that I have joined the bike to work revolution. Now I know that in joining the bike to work revolution I have made myself quite vulnerable and so when I'm riding to work, there are a few things that get my undivided attention, and that is giveaway lines. Now, I have learned to value and respect giveaway lines. Now, unfortunately for me, I've learned to value and respect giveaway lines the hard way. In 2015, I was living in New Zealand, and I was on my way home from work one day, and I was riding my bike, and I came to a giveaway line, and I chose to ignore the giveaway line. Now, I remember going through that giveaway line. So you know when people say that time slows completely down? That is exactly what happened to me the day I went through that giveaway line. As I rode my bike through the giveaway line, a car was coming towards me. And I remember looking over my shoulder and there was Tebow. And I don't remember actually being hit by the car. But what I do remember is waking up in those boxes. You know, like when the paramedics put you in those boxes. And so now every morning when I'm riding to work and I come across a giveaway line, I use it as an opportunity to respond to what is in front of me. Now, there's a difference between giveaway lines and red lights because red lights demand a response, whereas giveaway lines are far more suggestive that we might want to stop. But the thing is, whether it's a red light or a giveaway line doesn't actually indicate the danger of ignoring the warning. And so for me, every time I come to a giveaway line, I use it as an opt-in opportunity to respond to what is in front of me. The murder of George Floyd has sparked this global phenomenon where it is a craze at the moment to talk about racial injustice. And while we can acknowledge that the conversation of racial injustice is not a new one, we can accept that the way that people are now engaging in conversation about racial injustice is new. And so as a global population, we have arrived at a moral giveaway line, an opt-in opportunity to respond to what is in front of us. Now I describe it as a giveaway line and not a red light because of the very systemic nature of racism, all the legislation and the dominant culture that surrounds racial injustice Technically, we don't have to stop, meaning we can just keep going on as usual. But what I want to do is I want to talk about a story that we find in the Bible where there is a moral giveaway line and I want to talk about the dangers of choosing passivity in these moments. And so the story I want to talk to you about is found in the book of 2 Samuel and chapter 13. And this story is about King David and three of his children. We read that his firstborn son and heir to the throne, Amnon, feels that he is deeply in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And the Bible tells us that in an act of grave injustice, he violates his sister. And as a result of this injustice, she is isolated from society and then disqualified by marriage, all by no fault of her own. And as we read this story, Tamar herself tells us that the pain of the aftermath of what has happened to her was more painful than the initial violation. And so we see that injustice breeds collateral damage. The transatlantic slave trade is a symbol of the very physical oppression of black people. And although the slave trade was formally abolished, 
we see the collateral damage that has followed is evidenced in things like the 13th Amendment, the criminalization of black people, and the socio-political disadvantages that still oppress black people today. And so we learn that when an injustice is followed by a lack of justice, collateral damage fills the space in between. If we flip back into the story in 2 Samuel, we learn that David is furious about what happens. Amnon is guilty of committing two capital crimes, and according to the law, he would have had to pay a huge fine to David as the father of Tamar, and he would have been required to marry Tamar. Now, of course, because Tamar and Amnon were brother and sister, this was outlawed. And so David gets stuck in this terrible tension because he's absolutely furious about what has happened, but the law of the land does not facilitate justice. And so David can't rely on the law to deliver justice in this situation. And so here, David arrives at his moral giveaway line with an opt-in opportunity to respond to what is in front of him. Now, unfortunately, David chooses to hide behind the law and the uncomfortableness of his culture and he's, he refuses to do anything, which means that he is grounded in his passivity. Now, we all know that when there is an act of injustice, passivity will not satisfy the demand for justice. And so what happens in this story is we see justice rise up in another place. Like David, Absalom is furious when he finds out what's happened to his sister. But instead of being passive, what Absalom does is he decides that he's going to take justice into his own hands. And he goes away and he plots and he orders the execution of his brother, which then creates a new layer of destruction into this story. David's inability to deliver justice in this situation means that we see justice rise up in another place. Like David, if we fail to deliver justice in the conversation of racial injustice, we will and we already are seeing justice rise up in other places. Right now in our world, there are voices louder than the churches that are rising up in the name of justice. And while some of what these organisations and political movements stand for is great, Part of us opting in means that we need to be able to critically engage in this conversation. So as David, as father and king, we as the church, as salt and light, both with divine favour and a divine opportunity, as we arrive at the moral giveaway line, have an opt-in opportunity to respond to what is in front of us. If we choose passivity, we are choosing to continue to see collateral damage. In choosing passivity, we are actively making space to see other voices rising up in the name of justice. As a church, we need to seek after a godly form of justice that is forceful but peaceful, bringing about justice in the form of change, a form of justice that can bring restoration. The thing about Jesus is that justice is core to who he is. We know that Jesus is perfect theology. He was the word that became flesh. So surely we can learn from his words and his actions. I want to talk about the Lord's Prayer, maybe some of Jesus's most famous words. But have you ever thought of the Lord's Prayer as Jesus's political manifesto? If we fully embrace the cultural context of the Lord's Prayer, we realise that this is a powerful political statement. 
The problem is we have Hollywooded the person of Jesus, meaning that we have taken out all of the truths that don't fit the popular narrative that we like to have of who Jesus is. When we start to unpack the Lord's Prayer and we read Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, we can read it a little bit like this. He's saying to them, when you speak to your Father in heaven, engage in political conversation. Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. These are all parts of the Lord's Prayer that we can reel off. But when we look at it through the lens of a political manifesto, we realise that these statements are packed with political power, directly deflecting from the oppression of the Roman regime. The very fact that people call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, point towards his revolutionary nature. Jesus comes from a heritage of transforming nations. The very fact that he was known as the Christ and the Messiah indicate the very revolutionary nature of who Jesus is. This prayer leaves no room for passivity. As we arrive at our moral giveaway line with an opt-in opportunity to respond to what is in front of us, it's important that we realise that opting in can and will look different for each and every one of us. Opting in for one person might be by starting by having an open and honest conversation with yourself about the prejudices that live in your own heart and your own mind. Opting in for somebody else may be rallying around some form of social action. Opting in for somebody else may be engaging in an uncomfortable or difficult conversation with a family member or a friend. Opting in for somebody else may be making changes in their spheres of influence, whether that be in education or in politics. The truth is that nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And so as we arrive at our moral giveaway line, it is my challenge that we don't just accept the attitudes that we might have by default, and that we allow and that we ask God to transform us. And so I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God of justice, and we thank you that you're a God that always helps us to learn and to grow. And so God, in this season, we take it as an opportunity to educate ourselves and, and to be rewired in who you are. Amen. Thank you, church. It's been great being with you online today. Stay blessed.